Welcome to the weekly podcast, Stand Strong. I'm Paul White. And I'm Noah Dieselkamp. Together, we look to God's Word to find energy and encouragement to fuel our faith. When our trust in Jesus is firm, we'll be amazed what God can do and accomplish in our lives. So let's turn to the wisdom in God's Word, a true and trusted source that is going to help us stand strong. Let's dig in. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to all who are tuning in to us today, season four in our Stand Strong podcast, 21st Century Discipleship. Noah is sitting here in the studio with me. Uh, we have been dealing with, Noah, some very big, broad subjects. There's just no way to cover some of the subjects recently, like dancing and gambling. And we're moving into another one today on humanism. And I'll tell you, humanism is one of those subjects, again, we could go in a lot of different directions. Mm -hmm. uh, I just think humanism has adversely affected just about every area of our lives and not in a good way. Yeah. And so we had talked about some of these things privately and trying to laser in on a few areas. Let me just give you a Webster's International Dictionary. Let's just give a definition of humanism, just one, a very concise a contemporary culture belief calling itself religious, but substituting faith in God for faith in man. I, I, and then I had inserted this in some of my files that I read years ago. It's just a quote, very, very concise. But listen to this quote. At the heart of humanism is the notion that anthropology, which is a study of man, of course, must replace theology. There's mm -hmm. your study of God. And here's the point. God has been removed from the center of life, and God is no longer truly worshipped, and man has assumed his place. And that's kind of at the heart of where we're going with this, substituting faith in man for a faith in God. I mean, there is no God. We don't need God, man. Uh, here's the low-hanging <laughs> fruit that I told you I was going to throw the protagonist, fifth century uh, philosopher out there who, who says that man is a measure of all things. So right. we know clearly that's not true, but let's just kind of dig into humanism and kind of peel it back a later in time and talk about the dangers of humanism. Yeah. And this is, I think, going to be a valuable discussion. And I think for people, at least of my generation, we don't hear the term humanism used a lot. Uh, it's not something that comes up in everyday conversation. We may be more likely to hear terms like postmodern and other things that are, I would say, are related to humanism, build upon humanism, uh, or intersect with humanism. I think this discussion is important in part because there is a flavor of humanism that can be very appealing to us as Christians. Um, there's a flavor of humanism that can sound really good mm -hmm. and it can sound like it can be married with it can it can be part in partnership with uh, a Christian worldview and a, and a theological viewpoint and so whatever you want to call it whether or not you know if, if people are listening this morning they're thinking I've never talked to a humanist I don't think and I've never really gone to the you know the the website for the American Humanist Association or something like <laughs> that it's less about the specific, organizations and people that, you know, publicly teach and, and preach this kind of worldview. And it's more about, like you said, how this has influenced the course of our, our culture and our, our history. And therefore it has affected us and it affects how we read scripture. It affects how we view our relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so like if I, I mentioned before, I did go to the, the website for the American Humanist Association. And if you look at their definition for humanism, you may go, OK, well, this is, I mean, obviously clearly false. It's that they would they put it as a progressive philosophy of life that without theism or supernatural beliefs affirms our ability and responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment that aspire to the greater good. So, I mean, anyone that's a Christian automatically is going to see without theism or supernatural beliefs and go, okay, you know, that's wrong. But, but notice what they're trying to affirm. Our ability and our responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment that aspire to the greater good. The AHA's motto is good without a God. Oh, my. When I, when I went on their website and I saw that, so... Here's, here's what we have to recognize if we're wanting to follow God and if we're wanting to make sure that we're doing so to, to, in a way that is truly reflective of who God is and his plan for us, we have to recognize that it's going to affect our motivation and our thought process behind why we do what we do. And for the humanist movement and the, in our culture, the way that humanism has affected us, their thought is we can lead ethical lives. Um, we can work for the greater good. We can work for personal fulfillment. We can do all of that without God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you were talking about uh, the term humanism kind of loses its force with your generation. My generation grew up at least hearing people talk about the Humanist Manifesto 1, and, of course, you had the Humanist Manifesto 2, and you can mm-hmm. go online. You can read all those things. These are, these are not things that, that, that can be hidden. It's out there. And, and you were talking about this, this concern. Man simply becomes a law to himself. If, you, if right. you buy into the reasoning of the humanist or if you read some of what's in the Humanist Manifesto, you know, that, that, that teaches ethics stem from human need and interest, that there's clearly man's at the center right. of what is ethical and reasonable, and he determines, she determines, you know, is this, is this valid? Is this right? It, it sounds clearly like uh, the spiritual principle today, you know, what, that we see in Judges 17 in the days where there was no king in Israel, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Right. And that's a big concept. But I like you to focus on, you know, why do we do? It's, it's the why, not the what. What's the why are we taking an approach to this? Why are we doing what we're doing? I mean, is it is it me being the center of the universe? Right. Me governing myself? Or am I being influenced by someone outside of myself? Right, exactly. And again, if we look at our reasoning, we'll start to recognize sometimes the impact of, of this type of, of thinking, this humanist type of thinking over the course of our history. If you look up, uh, try to find succinct definitions of humanism or humanists, prominent humanists who have tried to define it or, you know, describe it, you'll basically find two themes in all of them. One, there is no supernatural. Mm-hmm. Man is alone in the universe, you right. could kind of say. Okay, there is no supernatural. And secondly, humans are responsible for their own destiny. That's kind of the, the, the line of the gist of what they say. They're, they're responsible for their own destiny. Um, we owe it to ourselves and others to make the best life possible. Humanism focuses on using human efforts to meet human needs. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole idea is man is not only alone, but he is sufficient. 
to yes. pull himself up by his bootstraps. You know, uh, a brother preacher named Connie Adams, one time when writing about humanism, he said, the one view exalts man as the center of the universe. The other exalts man as a creature made in the image of God. Man has no exaltation apart from his relationship to his maker. These views, humanism and, and Christianity, eventuate in different principles upon which life is to be lived, different priorities in human endeavor, and different expectations beyond this life. I feel like that's a really succinct way to get at how there, there is no marriage between these two kinds of views. And again, there's this appeal in the humanist mindset of, but we can do it, right? Like we can do it. We can pull ourselves up. We can fix this world. We can, we, we see these problems and we can fix them. And that's not Christianity. No, clearly, you know, I, I'm not, and this podcast is not about uh, feminism or radical feminists, but if you go back and just do the research and try to connect the dots, a lot of or most radical feminists were first humanists or humanism affected their views towards feminism. Uh, Gloria Steinem is a name that gets tossed out a lot. And again, National Organization for Women. But years ago, she said by the year 2000, we will, I hope, raise our children and believe in human potential, not in God. And we read that and think, oh, that's blaringly, blaringly, uh, obviously wrong, but, you right. know, pushing God completely out of the picture and, and believing in us and we're the center of the universe and we're the measure of all things. But that was the push. That was the push. And you kind of talked about uh, the, the humanist uh, and that website. And, and I alluded to Humanist Manifesto. In the Humanist Manifesto too, this is a direct quote. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. Right. And we read that and think, that's okay. Come on. Why are y'all even having a podcast on this? Because the people that are listening to this podcast would never say such a thing. Right. I don't think they would. Right. But again, no deity will save us. We must save ourselves. And everybody acknowledges we haven't saved ourselves. We were in need of a Savior. Clearly, our salvation is not of man. It is all of God. But is that truly the foundation upon coming into Christ? We build our whole lives on that foundation. If we do, if I do, then that should help me to deal with pride. Right. You know, I, I think, you know, when Eve, you go all the way back to the garden and I think that's what Satan was trying to do to Eve. You know, I mentioned that no deity will save us. We must save ourselves. Satan having his work on Eve in the garden, mm -hmm. con convincing Eve that she could be wise apart from God. Yeah. Uh, and, and clearly that worked. I mean, right. his approach worked. You know, I don't, I haven't heard anybody in Christ say, I am God. <laughs> <laughs> but... If we begin to elevate ourselves to a position that only God is supposed to occupy, that's a result of my pride being fueled. Yeah. There's some humanism that can, can rise up out of that. I, I hope that we're making it clear to those listening that, you know, we didn't just pick uh, humanism as some sort of scapegoat for all the world's problems or something that just is easy to point a finger at and say, Oh, you know, look at that. That's ridiculous. Obviously, this doesn't line up with Christianity. There's a reason we're talking about this in the context of 21st century discipleship. Because in the 21st century, 
especially here in the Western world, we have been greatly affected by this type of thought process, and it it can infect our theological worldview. And it can do so in ways that are difficult to identify, but what it's going to come down to is finding value, finding meaning, and finding purpose outside of God. God created us, and he created us for a purpose, and he created us very good. And if we start searching for meaning and purpose outside of a relationship with God, that's humanism. That's humanism. Yeah. It sounds a whole lot like Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. Uh, Trust in the Lord is acknowledging him in all your ways. Yeah. There is a God. I am not God. And (laughs) so the existence of God... Uh, is is the foundation upon which I build everything about my life, and I don't separate law from love. Yeah, uh, and that's a subtle approach. I get it, but that that is what's creeping into our into our lives, into our even our churches. Uh, and whenever love without law begins to be propagated, we're going to have a lot of lot of trouble in our lives and in our churches because it becomes very self-serving. Yeah. Because love is defined by a feeling. How I feel in the moment, my approach, like you said, to the ethical standard of of what I think and how I feel. Yeah. If you're trying to remove the the supernatural standard of God um, for these types of things and instead replacing it with, well, the standard of things is human experience or human culture, or human nature. Those things can inform us about standards, what's right, what's wrong, what is love, uh, what, is, what is loving to do or not to do. When we start to, when we start to do that, um, we, we're allowing this to, to change the fundamentals of, of what makes us us and what makes Christians Christians. Um, it, it, it changes how we see things. It, humanist worldview, for instance, sees the flaws of mankind, our flaws, our failures, and our difficulties. And humanism tries to convince itself that man is the solution. Mm-hmm. All these problems that we've caused, we're also the solution for these problems. And Christianity says, we see the flaws, we see the failures, we see those, those problems. Christ is the solution right? Uh, Humanism believes that humanity can save itself. And Christianity recognizes, no, we're saved by God. Humanism believes man must create his own purpose. Christianity recognizes God created us with a purpose. We already have a purpose. That's why, you know, we've referenced a few different passages, Proverbs and Judges and that kind of thing. But that's part of why Ephesians 2 to me is so powerful when when we're trying to make sure that we're weeding out from our own mindset and our own worldview, these, these negative things. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 and you, you get a description. Here's what you were on your own, the measure of a man, you were dead in your sins. <laughs> That's what you were. But by grace, you have been saved. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. That flies in the face of humanism and its influence on our faith. 
And then in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, you, you again have pointing back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, we are as workmanship. But in Ephesians chapter 2, he, he goes into it a little bit further. And he says, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. And that I think does hit on one of the main appeals of humanism is it looks for, I, I think the argument would be, it looks for the good in people. That there's just this intrinsic goodness that we can do for one another. There's this intrinsic, um, you know, positivity to humans that we we should be driven to the greater good in service of one another, in service of our communities and that kind of thing. And so people see that and think, well, that's very positive. It's not positive if it is divorced from our creation in the image of God. We were created by God in his image. We are created in Christ for good works, which God has prepared for us. Those intrinsic good things that we that we should feel an obligation and a motivation to do, I agree that those are absolutely there, but they're not of human origin. They're of divine origin. Yes, yes, yes. So that, that's the key. Where do we start? Where do we start? And I believe everybody listening to this says, absolutely, we start with there is a God. And he, he defines right and wrong. He is the one who has given us life and breath and all things at Acts 17. And we acknowledge that. So as a result of that, I am not the measure of all things. I am not a God unto myself. I do not reason based upon my own ethical understanding of things. There is a standard by which I measure everything. Mm -hmm. And we know what that is. But the subtlety of humanism, I get back to the subtlety of humanism as it's uh, affecting, negatively affecting our, quote, Christian yeah. circles, is, again, hard sometimes to see in ourselves. And the Romans 1 clearly is saying the problem was they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Mm -hmm. A lot of bad things happen when we do that. So that's why we wanted to talk about this thing with, with humanism and kind of some of the things that in subtle ways uh, can, can negatively influence our lives uh, and our churches. So I'm glad we had this discussion today. Yeah, absolutely. So am I. But before we close out and, and give a little preview of, of next week, I think it would be good for us to go ahead and say a prayer. Paul, would you be willing to pray? Sure, sure. Let's pray. God, we are just mindful that you are a God. You're a creator. You're a sustainer of life. Uh, we exist in you. We depend on you. And God, you're the answer to every situation and every circumstance in our life. You first loved us. You have demonstrated that love through the giving of your son, Jesus Christ, who has given us life, provided forgiveness of sins and hope for the life to come. God, we are mindful of you, and we're, we're understanding that we live in a world that is decaying, that is being deceived. It is a fallen world. Satan is alive at work in this world in such subtle ways sometimes. God, and, and we want to be able to see you, but we also want to be able to see the things that, that potentially can corrupt us from the inside out. We're thankful for the power of your word, your Holy Spirit that is able to instruct, is able to lead us in ways of understanding, in ways that are right. And we lean on you, God, and we trust in you. We need you for every area of our life. Please teach us and show us and lead us.
in ways that will honor you and strengthen us and our families in such a way that others can see you living in us and others can see the light of the glorious gospel and come into a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. We're mindful, God, of those who are suffering in this world, those who are dealing with hard times, and we just lift them up to you, perhaps those who are listening today who are in need of grace and mercy and healing and peace. And Father, we just pray for them and their needs, and we're thankful for this blessing of prayer and the possibilities of it because of Jesus, and we ask these things in faith through Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Paul. Mm-hmm. Next week, we're keeping in line with what we've been doing so far, which is uh, trying to cover in about 20 minutes something that could easily take you know, three hours to discuss, um, but that's the nature of this podcast. Next week, we're going to be talking about disciples and social media. It can certainly be a, a hot-button topic, depending on who you talk to the dangers of social media, what we use social media for. There are people that uh, use it very frequently. There are people that refuse to join uh, any type of social media platforms, and there are good reasons on 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 both sides of that kind of a discussion. Next week, we're not going to be focusing on whether or not someone should be on social media. Rather, we're going to talk about how a disciple should engage with social media um, if they choose to do so, and, and some of the dangers and some of the, the the possible pitfalls that we can face in that kind of a situation. So I'm looking forward to that discussion next week, Paul. I am too. Just for just the fact that you mentioned what we're talking about, surely we'll bring people back next week because they <laughs> they want to know what in the world is the young guy and the old guy going to say about social media. Well, uh, tune in, tune in. In all seriousness, thank you for listening today. The intent of every podcast is just to give glory to God, to try to help us together to stand strong. Thanks for joining us in God's Word today. We hope you'll continue to join us each week as we consider how to deepen our faith in God. Here's some good news today and even this week. With God as our foundation, we know that we can stand strong. 